this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. I've been wanting to expand the scope and sensibilities of this program for a while now. I wanted to get fresh voices with access to some of the Bloomington communities that I alone might not have given full exposure to. Have we done well enough getting the voices of people of color, people in the LGBTQI community, young people, and any of the groups of which, frankly, I'm not a member? I'd say we've needed to do a better job in that regard. Toward that end, I've recruited the first of what I hope will be many new team members. Alex Ashkin is a former producer for Blooming Out and a real fixture on the local coffeehouse scene. He'll be our guest interviewer today. Fittingly, he's invited as his guest another Bloomington coffeehouse fixture and the still new to the job City Point person for small business development. I'll be back soon, but let's turn the mic over to Alex today. Thanks a lot, Mike. I'm here today with Jane Coopersmith, who is a wonderful Bloomington personality, owner of Hopscotch Coffee along with Jeff Grant, and current assistant director of small business development at the city of Bloomington. Thank you for being on Big Talk, Jane. Alex, thank you so much for the invitation. It's going to feel like we're hanging out and talking at the coffee shop, which we haven't had the luxury <laughs> of doing for a really really long time. Exactly. I, I still sometimes stop by the the Beeline location just to sort of poke my head in the window, wave at the staff. Yeah. So let's sort of first talk a little bit about Hopscotch because this is sort of your first real feather in your cap. That's how you really broke into the scene in Bloomington. That, that's, I think, where most people sort of recognize you from. So the story goes that you started this all in your house as a home roaster. Was Chris involved at all? Well, uh, so Chris is my husband. He was involved mainly as a cheerleader. Um, <laughs> I think because I, I'm from from like a solidly, I guess it's not working class family because my parents had degrees and my dad was working like a management job or whatever, but like working, like high work ethic family. So I've had jobs ever since I was really 12 and then all summers lifeguarding, working in a library. So I've never, I've never paused. And I had been working at IU for almost a decade and had a son and was traveling for work and it was pretty stressful. And my husband had this novel idea that I would, um, in spite of our need of two full-time uh, employed household members, he kind of encouraged me to hit pause and take some time off and see if I could figure out what might be a better match for me or what, what, what I could do that would cause me less stress. That's to say, Chris was cheerleading. He, was, he cheerleaded me, pausing what had been um, a good, like, like my, what I thought was my dream job, honestly, and then hitting pause. But it turned out to be pretty stressful and not super compatible with, with early babydom. So he encouraged me to hit pause, and then coffee kind of grew out of that, that interstitial space. I mean, that's advice I've heard other people give that's something I just was never really able to hear, but I kind of like 
I trust my partner more than I trust myself in my husband. And I could look at, I could look at him and I could see that it was meaningful and true, even if I couldn't really believe it myself. So I quit my job and it was really terrifying. And we were living really close to the ground, kind of squeaking by. And I started, yeah, I started roasting coffee at home. What's funny is that I was one of the people calling the city of Bloomington, trying to get them to let me open a roastery on my residential Mm -hmm. lot which they just it's not allowed the the answer is still no lots of hoops to jump through there yeah yeah but I had a tiny like be more roaster that was on my front porch and I roasted lots of different types of coffee and my friends and family were um excited about it and would visit we had a little drop-off spot on the front porch that people would just pop in and grab their their Mm -hmm. beans it wasn't ready for prime time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thus, Hopscotch was born, though, correct? Yeah. <laughs> so the yep. legend goes. So you mentioned prior to that you're working with IU. You were a copy editor. Sort of. Um, my title was Acquisitions, a sponsoring editor. So it's almost more like project management for, for books. So okay. you work with authors bottom to top, you, you, you help them through the ideation phase if, they're, if it's that early or if they already have a book and you're, re, you're listening reviews of the manuscript, you're really helping them with developing the project. And some people come to you, would come to you with perfectly formed books and other, people's, other people may have really good ideas and then um, need a lot of support. So that job was great because I'm like a jack of all trades, master of none. So I got to investigate all kinds of interesting academic work along with people who were were true experts and had done that, um, you know, super precise deep diving. So you basically, yeah, help them turn their project into a book and then do marketing strategies and work on budgets for it and then kind of long-term management. So you would maybe live with a project anywhere from two to five five or six years. It's pretty interesting. And so as part of that, you would kind of do assessments of the manuscript and make right kind of prescriptions for the copy editors. But the copy editors are really more like, they're the like technical mechanics who get in and do the the line editing. So I wasn't doing that at IU. But when I left IU, I was freelancing as the copy editor, which was quite different than the project management. And I liked it a lot too. It was fascinating. It seems like Prior to Hopscotch, you sort of had two very interesting roles within sort of the literary academic world, one being sort of a very broad sort of, I don't want to say mentor because I I think it's more of a symbiotic relationship between the authors and and the publishing team, but really sort of seeing through the project through multiple milestones, really sort of helping incubate gestate ideas and then going on to having a very particular detail focused job when you're freelancing Mm -hmm. do you think that those sorts of roles sort of helped as you start to transition as a small business owner having to sort of as you said being a little bit of a jack or jill of all trades but also having a role that really did require you to knuckle down, look at the line items, really go dive into the details. Yeah, I think it was good training in a lot of different ways. Well, first of all, project management 
a project management background is great because you're divvying up complex tasks over time. And that's really what a lot, a lot of what was happening with the acquisitions, but also just like the, the kind of habitual thinking that you have to do if you're, you know, we were pub or I was working on, I'm not going to remember the right number. I was pretty productive there. I think I had maybe 25 to 30 books a season, two seasons in the year. So I think that's, I, I think I'm remembering correctly, but basically that means each one of those projects, you have to think about who the audience is, how the financials look, what the timing is with the market, how you're going, you know, how you're going to publicize it, how it fits within the, the context of the rest of the list, how your book fits with the other, you know, five or however many lists within the press and how those fit within the context of academic publishing at large. So it's just this cyclical thinking where you're really building good, robust, solid projects. And then you have to do that with business thinking too. It's the same type of components for, for a business. It's just that the delivery Mm-hmm. method may be different and of course like our manufacturing of coffee mm-hmm. we're, we're doing that in-house so then we kind of break that part of our financial analysis out a little more deeply whereas with books we would get quotes but we wouldn't have to do any of the labor ourselves so there were fewer variables to manage in that way yeah I think it was great pretty great training and then maybe maybe like the most important piece is just that you know when you're writing and books i don't i i'm an avid book reader but i feel like we consume writing in so many different ways mm-hmm. now so i think talking about writing more broadly you constantly have to be tethered to your audience and thinking about your audience or it's not for anybody and it's not going to get consumed and i think it's the same thing with with businesses whatever mm-hmm. whatever you're selling or sharing you know kind of depending on your strategy and your ethics and your whole MO, whatever you're trying to get out into the world, if you're not thinking about the end user, mm-hmm. it's not going to go no matter how, how good your vision is. And I think one thing that's interesting when you sort of talk about your audience or your consumers is that I think Hopscotch has a very unique culture and sort of um, aesthetic, even compared to some of the other cafes around Bloomington. And one thing that in doing my research on you, uh, I found out was you have an MA in French literature. Well, I didn't finish it, but I have most of, I did did all my coursework. And then um, I think I dropped out right before my exams because I felt like I was not, I I felt like I was on my career trajectory for my Mm -hmm. dream job. So I definitely regret bagging that, especially because I like tests. Like, <laughs> it was just the time factor. I was going to graduate school while I was also working, you know, full time. And, and uh, yeah, but that's my background. And I studied that. I studied French literature and film studies as an undergrad. So I have kind of a visual culture component and then definitely literature and writing. That was something that sort of made me wonder a little bit because there is a little bit of this uniqueness to hopscotch i and perhaps i'm reading into it too much with like it being located on the beeline and it being so you know sort of walk up friendly and back when guests were still dining in uh you know had some really great sort of 
front porch seating had a little bit of and i don't think necessarily parisian but this sort of unique almost european-esque cafe aesthetic i love i'm taking that as a compliment outdoor cafe life is a beautiful thing and um that's definitely something that attracted jeff and and me to that location we looked at locations uh all over town and i think my son was like three going on four when we were shopping for locations and we looked at a place on the square and he like darted into traffic or not he didn't get to this he didn't get into the street but he darted toward the street mm -hmm. and it was this moment where we were like oh my gosh and just realized how kind of stressful that was and Jeff and Aaron didn't have kids at that time but we once we got to the line and it, it felt like we were sitting on this park and that we were in this other space other area it was really peaceful the Beeline at that time, that was in 2014, not that many people were using it yet. The park was a no man, no person's land, which I liked, but it was definitely not like trafficked the way it is now. But we oh, could see, like we could see where, where it was going and we didn't know Cardinal Spirits was going to be in the neighborhood at that time. And so that was really exciting to meet those guys and, and find out what they were up to. But the porch, the point of this story is that the porch, it felt so safe up there, having this kind of like buffer space between our space and the street and our space and the trail. The porch was very definitely what sold us on the location. When you expanded, you had a big party out on the porch, had a DJ, had, and so on. And that has become a little bit of a central part, at least up until COVID, was that sort of using it as a community space, particularly after you guys started expanding your business hours. So as you guys have sort of grown, one of the big things that you did was back in about, what was it, 2016, 2017, uh, you guys opened Hop 2 downtown. It's on Madison. Okay. Um between 6th and 7th. So it's like right behind Blooming Foods. If anyone had been voting early recently, you probably saw that, you know, location right across the street from the county uh, yeah. elections offices. And one of the things that I found absolutely fascinating, because you guys have been doing this for a bit, is incentivizing in a sense people voting early by having your little i voted sticker discount right yeah <laughs> well it's illegal to incentivize voting so we don't really think about it in those terms <laughs> but we try to thank people for having done it i guess what was cool this year 2020 is just so crazy but when you're in hospitality you're with people all the time and you're serving the public all the time and you get this, you know, it's really, it really is all about community and kind of routine and these kind of rhythmic short and sweet interactions with people from all across our community. And it's been really sucky not to have that as part of life in 2020, even though like we, our staff has been healthy. So no, no complaints there. But I think what was really great about early voting was it felt kind of festive and it felt a little bit like a festival day. It felt like a 
a day where there was something special going on. And of course, it went on for weeks like that. But it was really nice to be able to see people and have the shop be so bustling. And the other thing that was so incredible is that we had, I can't remember who did the first donation. Somebody donated for coffee for the entire voting line one day, and then we publicized it. After we publicized it, we had donations every day for the remaining of early voting. Yeah, so, that was like two or three weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible generosity. And, mm -hmm. you know, people were thanking us for it. And I think we tried to be really transparent. And, you know, we, would, <laughs> we love giving stuff away, but we can't give everything away. So it was really just generous. People just trying to pay it forward in the community. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure who was the uh, anonymous donor back when I did my early voting, but I made sure to take advantage of that opportunity as well and grab myself a cup while waiting in line. Hopscotch has been sort of this interesting entity because it sort of has catapulted yourself as a face of uh, entrepreneurs, small business owners here in Southern Indiana, which has parlayed into your role in government. I don't know. It's really funny to talk about in our tiny town. Like, you know, there's a certain level of visibility that comes with being a business owner. And it's funny too, I think, because Jeff and I are both really, really introverted. So <laughs> like- You don't come across that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's hardcore, especially Jeff. But like, if, the, if you ever see pictures, of, like just if you come across pictures of me and Jeff where we're trying to like mug for publicity, just enjoy a good laugh because we both hate having our pictures taken so much that we always look extremely uncomfortable. Well, so what happened, I think, is that Hopscotch is an enterprise zone business. So we have this great organization called the Bloomington Urban Enterprise Association. If, and it's a sort of geographic footprint. And if you live within the zone, or if you own a business within the zone, there are a bunch of benefits available to you. And I started to learn about it. And for our business, we were eligible for property tax deductions, which are super exciting. And so I think I started like learning more about the organization. And then they had a board spot open pretty early on, I think in 2016, I was appointed by the mayor to serve on that board. So that was just like a really cool opportunity to learn about this organization, learn about other businesses in this geographic footprint and to help get money out into the community. The BBA is really cool because it is public private partnership. So it collects money based on these tax deductions. It collects a percentage of the savings from the people who claim the deductions. And then it doles that cash out back annually for arts projects, scholarships, um, business training, Boys and Girls Club, MCCSC gets a big, they pay for all kinds of really cool programming at MCCSC for, for students. They just, they do a ton of community good, that, but they kind of have flown under the radar. So I got involved with them and I think I had been doing that for three years, I guess. And then this job came open and I think Hopscotch had just, I don't know, last fall Hopscotch had reached a level of stability that kind of meant we needed to either like really go attack some new growth 
or maybe one of us will go do something else. And I think because Jeff and I, again, are, are pretty introverted and we don't have those hardcore sales personalities, we're not a high growth startup. That, mm-hmm. that wasn't, we're called a lifestyle company, I've since found out. Um, <laughs> that wasn't on the books for us. We've just wanted a business that would support our families and be um, pretty ethical and be good to our community and employees. And so I think we've, we did that, but we weren't interested in huge growth. So this job came open and I was pretty interested in it. And Jeff and Aaron supported me in going for it. So we retooled some of our structure and made some hires and promotions, which was the other cool thing. By me getting out of the business, we were able to promote, promote other staff members into management roles. Like we've had a really great team from the beginning, but in food service, there's kind of like limited growth, but we were able to facilitate more professional development and growth by me kind of getting out of the way. So I still help like five, five hours a week, sometimes more, sometimes less. Like early COVID, I was so busy with the city that I wasn't doing as much with hopscotch, but um, so it's been strange Mm -hmm. transition and also really great. Speaking a little bit more about COVID, I'm sure the city has been in crunch mode in, you know, that real focused level of attention, particularly in terms of trying to address the needs of small businesses around the community. And you kind of have, for good or for ill, have basically have been in your role almost for the entire, like... Almost came in, had about a month of getting used to things, and then like, oh, we have to deal with this. First, I'm curious, do you think that there's some benefit almost to coming in and having this immediate trial by fire with COVID? Well, yeah, like nothing will be this hard. Like having all the regular duties of the job and then a pandemic on top of layered on top of that, like, I don't think it will become more challenging. I think that the challenges will be present, but more predictable and more visible, maybe. Like, I I think part of what's been so hard about COVID is that once it hit behaviorally, I I think we didn't know what the marketplace was going to do or what, what businesses were going to be able to do. And so it was just really a wild card. Now I think it's the longer we are into it, the more kind of almost predictable for for better or worse what's going to happen is obviously a lot of businesses a lot of municipalities that sort of ability to forecast ability to sort of plan both for what's expected but also potential contingencies is huge are there certain tools or resources that you think uh small business owners community groups nonprofits should be aware of that they otherwise aren't like well publicized or you know just sort of not talked about as much you know sort of in the common language of the community yes let me start by describing my email address jane.coopersmith at bloomington.in.gov that's k-u-p-e-r-s-m-i-t-h so email me business owners if you think you've heard about a program or if you want to make sure you're not missing something 
thing, this is what I'm here for is to try to help making, make sure you're connected with all the resources that you need. So the three current programs that I think are being underutilized are the Monroe County CARES Fund, the Monroe County government website, if you search on CARES, has a form that you can complete to as reimbursement for any expenses related to PPE or any adjustments to your business model. And certain other, there are certain other funding categories, but that's the, the bulk of it. It's like, what have you had to do for your business in order to function? So if you've had to like build a pickup window, for example, which is something I know Cardinal Spirits did, or at Rainbow, we modified how we were, um, like we had buy different software and different registers. So any of that stuff, you can get completely reimbursed for it. And it's really easy to deal with. So Monroe County Cares Reimbursement, Google that and it'll take you to the link. The second one is the State Small Business Restart Grant. This was released early and in COVID and was originally intended for businesses that did not get PPP. And so this money, which I think there was like 30 million of, was just sitting at the state. And then a month ago, the strictures were loosened. So they took that requirement. So now even if you've had PPP, you can apply for the state small business restart grant. And this grant is useful because you can um, submit operating expenses. So maybe you had your eight, your eight week period for your PPP or your 24 week period for your PPP, but then what do you do beyond that? Well, if you can demonstrate a 40% loss of revenue, then you're eligible for up to $20,000, not in one fell swoop, but you're eligible for that amount from the state. So state, small business restart, Monroe County cares. And then the third thing, there are a few other funds for nonprofits out there, but the BUEA has a few programs too. It's really stepped up to try to make more grant funds available for residents and businesses. So there's a business scholarship that's available. It's up to $1,200 for any kind of training that you might want to do for your business. Your, your business would have to be in the enterprise zone, but that you don't have to apply to qualify as an enterprise zone business. It's just determined by your address. Yeah, that's anything training related. Could be your safe serve, could also be professional association dues. So it could be chamber membership, DBI membership, you know, whatever your massage therapy certification is, if you're a massage therapist, any kind of stuff like that. So those expenses you might have in your budget anyway, but because of COVID and because the increased um, allowances from the BVA, you would then be able to get them reimbursed. And there's more out there, but those are a few. Well, thank you very much, Jane Cooper Smith. We love the fact that you were, took our interview and I am ecstatic that I can say you were my first interview subject oh, for Big yay. Talk. Yeah. We hope great. yeah, we hope that we will have more opportunities and you know, sooner or later be seeing you down on the beeline or down at the shops exactly. so that we could catch up like old times. So for Alex Ashkin, WFHB and Big Talk, we're signing off. I hope all of our listeners have a great day. Thank you again, Jane Cooper-Smith. Thank you.